Hi, this is John Harchar, and welcome to episode 13 of Keep On Grooving. For all fellow Catholics out there, welcome to Lent. I'm premiering this part of Jimmy's career now since it's inexorably linked to this time of year for me due to the way the record company decided to time their releases in a most inopportune way for someone who chose a certain thing to deny themselves during these 40 days. Episode 13, The Sony Era, 2010. Almost immediately after Sony took over the catalog, plans were announced that new material would be coming soon in the form of new albums and box sets. And in March of 2010, the first fruits of their labor were presented to the public. The main albums were re-released. I'll talk about those next time because I want to concentrate on the new stuff this time out. For the first time since South Saturn Delta, or even as far back as Midnight Lightning, the public will get their hands on a new studio album with completely unreleased material. Well, almost completely unreleased. Valleys of Neptune As I mentioned, in early March of 2010, the time for an album I'm looking forward to usually ends up coming out since it's during Lent when I don't buy CDs, DVDs, anything digital. Sony released Valleys of Neptune with cover art by Jimmy himself. When he was younger, like grade school younger, he made a whole bunch of watercolor pictures. One of them was used for the cover, though blue-tinted and obscured by a Linda Eastman, a.k.a. McCartney, photo. The original picture was on the back and on a couple of singles they released from the album. But at least we got completely new and unadulterated Jimmy music. Well, mostly. The album opens with Stone Free, or should we say Stone Free again, again. The music from this version was recorded with Jimmy, Billy, and Mitch in May 1969. But the vocals sound really familiar. They're the ones from the re-recorded version of Stone Free done with the experience the month before. Did they go in and dub over the original track to replace Noel with Billy? No, it's a whole new performance, not a tinker job on Jimmy's part. However, it may have been a tinker part on Eddie Kramer's behalf. The song may have been Frankenstein. I'll give a full description when we talk about the title track next. Namely, Valleys of Neptune. The bulk of this album was recorded in 1969, and oddly enough, if there's a song out of place on the record, it's this one. As I've mentioned before, Jimmy worked on Valleys of Neptune quite a bit in 1969 and 1970, but never got it down where he felt like he could record it, overdub it, mix it, and put it out. The most complete demo there is of the song is a nearly six-minute recording he and Mitch did in September 1969, just after the Woodstock man broke up. Billy had gone back to Nashville, so he wasn't there to do bass. Jimmy did all three verses he prepared for the song, along with a vamp in the middle where he might have worked in a solo. As he worked on the song through 1970, he pared it down a bit so versions would run in the four to four and a half minute ballpark. One of these was done in May 1970 at the record plant, 
Another one was done right after Cherokee Mist from the box set in June at Electric Lady. The May one is a more complete take with a unique opening and ending suitable for Fade Out. Eddie or his compatriots took the May instrumental take, used Pro Tools to lift the three verses off the September demo, and put them in their proper places in the May version. Some fans have taken to calling this process Frankensteining, which, as the name would imply, is taking different pieces of a song from various places and digitally stitching them together. This was also seemingly done with Stone Free. Personally, I don't mind this particular example since it's very explicit that it's not something Jimmy did, it was done later. Some fans still want the September 1969 demo released in full, unlike what they did on the radio show. As is, it's a decent enough job in creating what the song might have sounded like if it had been finished. Soon after Jimmy did Bleeding Heart at Royal Albert Hall, he began to do it in the studio, trying out different arrangements to see how it worked. This version from 1969 is with the guys from the Cherry People who recorded Crash Landing with him. We'll hear the re-released version of that very soon. It's slightly similar to the version that ended up being recorded a year later and ended up in the movie Rainbow Bridge and on the album War Heroes. It's a bit faster and twice as long, but overall, a really good version. Next is Hear My Train A-Comin'. This is the original version of the one Alan Douglas used for Midnight Lightning with Noel back in place. As you can hear on the song when you play it, there's no reason to have taken Noel off. Not only was the performance good enough to release it as it was on Midnight Lightning, it should have been strongly considered for a 1969 album or for any of the Mike Jeffrey albums right after Jimmy's death. No, it's not as fiery as the Berkeley version, but for a band that was falling apart, it was probably the best thing they'd done in the studio since Electric Ladyland. Other studio versions have good parts to them, but this one is the whole package. There was one version recorded at Electric Lady in mid-July 1970 that I'd like to hear at some point for comparison. Next up is Mr. Bad Luck. Oh, cool. Another song for the radio show making its standalone debut. Uh, well, not exactly. During the overdub sessions where they did There Ain't Nothing Wrong With That, the one from Noel's album, they decided to put a new drum and bass track to this song. It's, uh, it's not that good. Should have kept the original, which we would soon get. Next is Sunshine of Your Love. The album contains a number of songs recorded during the February 1969 Olympic sessions. This is, to the best of my knowledge, the only studio version of their concert staple jam on the Cream Classic. Lover Man Follows, it's also from the Olympic sessions, but this one has the 80s overdubs from Mitch and Noel. It's noticeably slower than the other versions, and this arrangement would not be repeated any other time. The next song comes from the very last experience recording session in April 1969, an early demo called Ships Passing in the Night that would eventually evolve into Nightbird Flying. It's much heavier than the later countrified version. The next two songs, Fire and Red House, are from the Olympic rehearsals like Spanish Castle Magic and Hear My Train are coming from the Purple Box set. Fire is okay, it's the extended live arrangement, but oddly, Red House fades out too soon since... He doesn't finish it. Why, Jimmy? You just had a few more lines to go. 
Personally, I would have held these last two songs back to go on to the next release. More on that as soon as we're done talking about Valleys and Neptune. Another one from early April 1969, Lullaby for the Summer was one of the songs that was cannibalized to turn into Easy Rider. Actually, it's the riff from Dance extended into a full song. Again, for a band that was falling apart, they were actually making some pretty good music. No vocals on this, though. The album ends with Cry in Blue Rain, another song from the Olympic Sessions with 80s overdubs because the original track just had Jimmy and percussionist Rocky D, the guy who did the congas on Sympathy for the Devil. Uh, take a look online and see why I'm not trying to pronounce his last name. Zarjanu, with a D and a J. I have a bootleg of the original session and the song is only two and a half minutes long and this one is almost five. Was the boot short? Or was it spliced together with something else? Incidentally, Noel says he came up with the title. In terms of Jimmy's lasting legacy, what pieces did this add to the puzzle? For me, the two big ones are Valleys of Neptune, caveats included, and Hear My Train of Coming. Those two I put up next to the first race in South Saturn Delta material if I was putting together a compilation and wanted to include a version of each of those songs. Sunshine, Lullaby, and Ships Passing in the Night are the others of real notice, while Bleeding Heart is also very good. The rest are okay, good to hear, good to have, but not essential. Now, much to, I think, everyone's surprise, the album shot to the top of the charts. And I mean shot, and I mean top. It landed at number four on the Billboard Top 200, his highest chart position in 35 years, and actually topped several of their specialty rock charts. In the UK, it just missed the top 20, but this was an absolute success, no question. West Coast Seattle Boy. What does it say about an artist's influence that 10 years after getting one career-spanning box set, he gets another career-spanning box set? Quite a bit. It also helps to switch record labels, and the new one would like a piece of the action for itself. Released a week and a half before what would have been his 68th birthday, the title refers to what Jimmy was called as he traveled the Chitlin circuit. This set would start with some of that material. The disc starts with Jimmy's recorded debut, testified by the Isley Brothers. The single did that parts one and two thing a lot of the R&B singles did back then. This is part one and a little bit of part two. It's the same version as on the live and unreleased radio show, but this was released. Maybe it should have been called Rare Live and Unreleased. He did two more songs with the Isleys in September of 1964, The Last Girl and Looking for a Love, but they aren't included here. Two songs by Don Covey do follow, Mercy Mercy, which Jimmy would cover with the Squires and do in some early experience shows, and can't stay away. Rosalie Brooks's My Diary, written by Love's Arthur Lee and UT, are next, followed by the two songs he actually did record with Little Richard, I Don't Know What You've Got, and Dancing All Around the World. There was an album in the early 70s that claimed to have Jimmy on it, but he didn't play on a single track. They didn't even include these songs. An interesting number by Frankie Howard and the Commanders called I'm So Glad was not the old Skip James number that was a staple of Cream set list, but instead was written by a familiar name, Billy Cox. 
He and Jimmy had known each other from his Army days in the early 60s. When Jimmy came through Nashville, the two got back together, and Billy had him play on this session. Two more songs with the Isley Brothers done in 1965, Move Over and Let Me Dance and Have You Ever Been Disappointed, are next. All of the Isley Brothers songs, including the ones not on this disc, are on an album from 1971 entitled In the Beginning. I believe it is available for streaming. I thought I just saw something about that. Sometimes Jimmy's name is on the album. Sometimes it's not. That's kind of the way it is with a lot of these early albums. Those two songs precede a group of one-off songs. A number of these he did for producer John Brantley in 1966. The Icemen's My Girl, She's a Fox, Jimmy Norman's That Little Old Groove Maker, and Billy Lamont's Sweet Thing were your typical R&B numbers that gave Jimmy some studio time for him to polish his skills. One of these random session songs is of particular note. Help Me Part One by Ray Sharp was recorded for Atlantic Records with King Curtis and his orchestra. A year or so later, the label lifted the music and gave it to Aretha Franklin to use as a backing track for her song, Save Me. Unfortunately, Jimmy's part was mixed down, but it'd come back when King Curtis released the song himself as Instant Groove, which ends the disc. Two noticeable absences from this disc are the recordings Jimmy did with Lonnie Youngblood and Curtis Knight. Done with producer Brantley, Lonnie and Jimmy recorded a total of four single sides together. Soul Food, Go-Go Shoes, Go-Go Place, and Goodbye Bessie May. Lonnie also played on some of the Brantley songs included on disc one. After Jimmy's death, an album called Two Great Experiences Together came out, purportedly featuring Jimmy and Lonnie. Instead, it was a lot of jam session tape that may or may not have had Jimmy on it. Mostly it's not. The two tracks for sure that do have Jimmy on it are Wipe the Sweat and Under the Table. The last one, I think, is a backing track for a different song by the Iceman or various edits and iterations thereof. The rest of that album had a lot of musicians who ended up backing up the Ohio players. The same thing happened with Curtis Knight's material recorded with producer Ed Chopin. Yep, this was the whole situation that ended up in the Band of Gypsies album. Jimmy properly recorded around 30 songs with Curtis and the Squires. As I mentioned in the holiday special, these songs, along with the Lonnie Youngblood tracks, were re-edited and repackaged literally hundreds of times. The Hendrix Estate finally got control of the night material a few years back and put out their own versions of just the Jimmy songs, though not all of them so far. Lonnie, God bless him, is still with us, and as we'll see, some later tracks he did with Jimmy were released. We already mentioned one of them. So when will we get a good version of those Lonnie Youngblood singles? We haven't yet, but we'll see. Just a note before moving on to the rest of the box set. If you'd like to learn more about this particular aspect of Jimmy's career, I can point you to the earlyhendrix.com site. It's got all of this broken down and figures out what songs actually have Jimmy on them and which ones don't. Nico Bauer keeps the site updated. I think he just did one last month, which will be January of 2022. I'll be doing a Curtis Knight episode down the line, and I'll be relying on the site quite a bit. I'd also like to thank the generous assistance of longtime Hendrix expert Keys DeLang, helping me sort out some of this. He's actually the one who tipped me off about Killing Floor from Monterey showing up in the Little Richard film back in 1970. 
The remaining three discs deal with the career we all know and love. We get a pre-mixed down version of Fire where we hear the song's actual ending, an instrumental are you experienced at that point known as title number four. Remember title number three was on the last box. An alternate mix of May This Be Love, which may be title number one from that date. I believe Highway Child is title number two. A mono mix of Can You See Me and an alternate mix of Lover Confusion with a cool ending Chaz should have used. There were a number of these. He could have stretched it out a little bit, but things were tight back then. The Wind Cries Mary from the Stockholm Stages concert also shows up, still leaving us five tracks from that show still to be re-released. The original takes of Little One, the basis for There Ain't Nothing Wrong With That from Noel's album, Mr. Bad Luck from the radio show, and Cat Talking To Me make their debuts. Cat Talking To Me was recorded in June 1967 as a possible vocal track for Mitch. 20 years later, he finally put vocals on it. That version showed up as a B-side to Valleys of Neptune, along with the unedited take of Peace of Mississippi from the TTG sessions that they stuck onto the re-release of the Purple Box. The instrumental take of Castles Made of Sand rounds out the 1967 material. Next up was a newly discovered tape of Jimmy playing acoustic guitar in his apartment. In 1995, artist Bill Sienkiewicz, best known for his comic work on New Mutants, Moon Knight, and Elektra, did a graphic novel called Voodoo Child, The Illustrated Legend of Jimi Hendrix. A CD was included with it of Jimmy playing solo guitar at his apartment. The songs included on that disc were 1983, Angel, Hear My Train a Coming, Voodoo Child, Cherokee Mist, and Gypsy Eyes. The angel from this recording is the one from the radio show. The acoustic songs on disc two are from a different tape except for the version of Angel I just mentioned. It starts with a real rarity, the only known time Jimmy ever performed Bob Dylan's Tears of Rage, co-written by Richard Manuel of the band, and appears on their music from the Big Pink album. He also does demos for Hear My Train A Coming, 1983, Long Hot Summer Night, and My Friend. The disc ends with two songs from the TTG sessions. Calling All the Devil's Children was a popular track in bootleg circles, with a party atmosphere chaos taking over the song's conclusion. There are two different versions, one with Jimmy as a preacher, and the other has him telling people to flush stuff down the toilet since the cops are here. Guess which one they picked for the box. The disc concludes with the full-length version of New Rising Sun, well, almost. For some reason, they trimmed the minute off of the intro. Now, disc three could have used a little cleanup in the opening sequence. It opens with the other big jam they did at TGG the same time they did the Electric Church one the Red House intro was edited from. This one is called Hear My Freedom, and it's an excerpt a la Nine to the Universe. The original is about twice as long. We then moved to Olympic in February 1969 for an interesting twofer. Jimmy played Room Full of Mirrors at Royal Albert Hall. He gave it a two and a half minute tryout here. It then segues into Shame, 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 which is an early version of the lyrics he used on It's Too Bad. The original recording just had Jimmy and Rocky on percussion. So this is the 1987-1988 version with Noel and Mitch adding their contributions. We then go back to TTG for Messenger, one of the first songs recorded at the sessions. 
as the name implies, some people consider this the beginning of the whole message to love evolution. I don't really hear it myself. It's a cool track anyway. We then go back to Olympic next for a studio version of Hound Dog Blues. Along with this in the BBC one, there's a third version of Jimmy doing Hound Dog on acoustic guitar with the two old maid lyrics later found in Midnight Lightning, but it's tied up in the whole Royal Albert Hall lawsuit thing. We go back to TTG for the wonderfully named Untitled Basic Track. It had made the rounds on the bootleg circuit under the name Nervous Breakdown, which was also the name of Noel's unreleased album with the Eddie Cochran cover as a title track. This one is really heavy. Next up are a couple of alternate tracks from the 1969 live album that never came out. Last box set had Purple Haze from San Diego with the extended feedback intro. This time, we get Purple Haze from L.A., which has the Star Spangled Banner as the intro. The full 21-minute Jimi Hendrix Larry Young jam is next, followed by the studio version of one of the Larry Lee songs that got cut from the Woodstock CD. This was Larry's original called Mastermind, and you know it's pretty cool. I've heard the Woodstock version too, as I mentioned, and it's also not bad. It's nice to see Larry finally get some love. Now, one of the biggest surprises of the box is up next. I've told the story over and over and over again about how Alan Douglas ruined the master tapes of Message of Love and Power of Soul. I've also mentioned Jimmy's marathon mixing session on August 22nd, 1970. Two of the songs he mixed that day were Message of Love and Power of Soul. But apparently the tapes had disappeared along the way, leaving just the damaged masters. Well, guess what? Somehow the mixes of those two songs finally turned up. So here, at last, we get to hear Message of Love with the bridge intact and no spliced-in solo. I have to say, it sounds a little empty without the solo. Alan may not have done the right thing splicing it in, but I understand his thinking. But it is nice to finally have it complete as Jimmy intended to hear it. The last two songs from Disc 3 and the first song on Disc 4 come from the second show on New Year's Eve with the Band of Gypsies. This was made possible thanks to the help of Microsoft co-founder Paul Allen. The Seattle native is a huge Hendrix fan and at one point was able to get his hands on the original tapes to all four Band of Gypsies shows. He then let experienced Hendrix use the tape for new releases. Of the three, Fire is also a song that appears on some color footage shot that night without sound, but it's easy to sync up. It's on the uh, Band of Gypsies DVD that had come out earlier. Foxy Lady and Stone Free are edited, Stone Free just slightly, Foxy Lady by almost half due to some technical difficulties. Why didn't they just release the one from Band of Gypsies too, instead of trying to hack this one all up? But don't worry, we would get that one eventually. The longer of the two instrumental studio takes released thus far, Burning Desire is up next followed by a jam on the song Lonely Avenue from November 1969 with just Jimmy and Buddy. In March 1970, Jimmy made a visit to London and helped out a couple of old friends with their albums. Remember my diary from disc one? I mentioned Arthur Lee of Love wrote that, so he and Jimmy go way back. Everlasting first opened Love's False Start album, which came out three months after Jimmy died. He also helped out his buddy, Stephen Stills, record his solo album. He played lead guitar on Old Times, Good Times, and did a number of other jams, including one on a song called White... Uh, a word beginning with N. 
a piece of this ended up on Stephen Stills' carry-on box set using another N-word as the title, No Name Jam. No, it has a name, Stephen. You called it what you called it. I'll just leave it there. You can Google it. A much bootleg demo of Freedom is next, with a newly mixed and slightly extended Peter Gunn catastrophe making its return to print, and with it, all of the tracks originally on War Heroes are available again in some form. Jimmy's August 20th mix of In From The Storm is next. He tries to do some cool psychedelic thing with the drums, making them echo out of sync. To me, it's kind of messy. I'm glad Eddie cleaned it up on Cry of Love. Next is the very first track Jimmy, Billy, and Mitch recorded at Electric Lady, something called All God's Children. It was a backing track, but no vocals were ever done for it. The Berkeley Red House from the first set follows, along with a little snippet where Eddie asked Jimmy to play that riff. That riff has popped up in a lot of songs since Woodstock, where it made a stellar appearance during the Voodoo Child solo. For some reason, they did a little edit and mix for this back in July of 1970. Were they planning on tossing it on the album somewhere? Don't know. Now, I mentioned earlier when Eddie put Hey Baby onto Rainbow Bridge, he edited it out of a longer take. Here they include the full 11-minute take, including what's been called Jimmy's Bolero, or officially Pride of Man, in front of Hey Baby. He'd done a version of Bolero during the instrumental section during Purple Haze and Villanova Junction at Woodstock and tried it a couple times at Electric Lady. Now, was Jimmy going to include the whole take on First Rays? Again, the answer is lost in the mists of time. The final track on the box set is Suddenly November Morning. Not only is this the first time the song was officially released, it's practically the first time the song has ever appeared anywhere. Sometime between the Band of Gypsies breakup and the Cry of Love tour in April, Jimmy recorded a tape of 16 songs he entitled Black Gold. It did seem to be a full album's worth of demos, and some songs showed up in other places. I'll go over them in a minute. At Isle of Wight, Jimmy gave a number of tapes to Mitch, including this one. He wanted his input on what kind of drumming and percussion each song might require. Then after Jimmy's death, Mitch flat out forgot about him until the early 90s. Only a few people had ever listened to these. Thus far, Suddenly November Morning is the only song the public has ever heard from Black Gold. Right at the end, he does the opening verse of Drifting, which on the tape is the next song. Now, is it the full song, or is this all there is? Do we have one song or two from the tape? Captain Midnight is next, unknown what that is. Local Commotion follows, and on one of the track listings for what he was working on, Jimmy listed a song called Locomotion, so this might have been that song. Here comes Black Gold is next, followed by Stepping Stone. The last song on side one is called Little Red Velvet Room. Supposedly, this song may be the holdup to any full release of the tape since it may mention a child that officially someone doesn't have. I'll leave it there. Side two starts with The Jungle is Waiting. Does this have anything to do with the earlier song Jungle or another booted song called Jungle Jam back at the house? Send My Love to Joan of Arc is next. It's probably a version of Send My Love to Linda. God Bless the Day is followed by the title track and Machine Gun, probably a short version. Here Comes Black Gold is next, but is it another song in the same name? The same song again or a part two? 
A two-part Astro Man is next, and the tape ends with I've Got a Place to Go, which may be a counterpoint to Hear My Train of Coming, where he's got nowhere to go. Was this going to be the next album after First Rays of the New Rising Sun? And Rainbow Bridge, for that matter? He certainly seemed intent on developing the songs, considering he asked Mitch for some rhythm ideas. It could be why some of the songs were already possibly being held back. The family has the tape and released the one song. As I said, speculation is the rest is being held up because of Little Red Velvet Room. I'd say most fans would be happy if we just got the rest of the songs released in some form. So the big adds to the legacy from the box are, in my opinion, Little One, Mr. Bad Luck, Cat Talking to Me, Calling All the Devil's Children, New Rising Sun, Young Hendrix, Message of Love, Lonely Avenue, and the Bolero Hey Baby combo. The Black Gold song is a tantalizing tease, but the whole tape is really the piece of the puzzle we're missing. A lot of the alternate mixes are interesting, the acoustic demos are solid, and the live tracks are nice additions. It's a little more in-depth compared to the Purple Box. That one I've even recommended to newer fans, but it works as a good companion piece to it, and as you can see, added a lot to the catalog. One other thing Sony did was ramp up the release of separate singles with exclusive B-sides. MCA released a grand total of two in their tenure, three if you include the Christmas one. As I mentioned before, Valleys of Neptune was released as a single with the 1980s version of Cat Talking to Me and on some copies the original complete take of Peace in Mississippi as well. This was followed a few months later by Bleeding Heart from the Valleys album, and Jam 292 is a B-side, with Peace of Mississippi also a B-side showing up on some copies as well. The box set also got a couple of single releases. The alternate Lover Confusion had a recording from the Olympic 1969 sessions called 12 Bar Blues with Horns as its B-side. It's exactly what the title says it is, and it's over 10 minutes long, which may be why it didn't make the box. The premix version of Fire was released with two B-sides, the original Cat Talking to Me from the box, and Touch You, the non-vocal version of Dance, which became Lullaby for the Summer, and frankly, it was short enough to fit on this set somewhere. Lover Confusion actually hit the Billboard single sales charts at number four, so they were kind of on to something, and it wouldn't be their last chart hit. Next time, Sony reissues an old live classic with a few changes and a long-awaited box set of the Winterland run with some missing pieces. That's next time I keep on grooving. Please remember to hit the subscribe button if you like what you're hearing. For those doing Lent, enjoy your fish or plain pizza every Friday for the next six or seven weeks. I'm John Harchar. Thanks for listening.